Hey guys, it's Matt. We're going to start the show soon, but first, I want to tell you about all the ways you can help us out. You can check us out on Twitter, at SpoilersCast. You can subscribe and listen to us and rate and review on iTunes, at There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. And of course, you can subscribe to our Patreon, in which you could generously donate $5 a month to listen to two bonus episodes. And we actually have a couple of extra things cooking up. You will hear about those at the end of this month. And that's it. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media or rate and review on iTunes. These things will really help us out a great deal. Can't appreciate you enough. And for all of your patience in listening to this intro, I'll reveal a little secret to you. I don't have a secret. But the guy who plays the bodyguard in this film is actually the guy who plays Darth Vader in the films. Isn't that neat? I'll, I'll start the show. I knew Stanley Kubrick and you would know Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? I actually about? don't know where that came from. I've forgotten the oh. reference material from which I have lifted that. Oh. Well, one day we'll find out. Maybe. Probably not. Maybe. Probably not. Hello and welcome back to World Be Spoilers, number 70 on AFI's top 100 list. My name is Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And that film, as I mentioned, is 1972's A Clockwork Orange. A Clockwork Orange. A Kubrick film. Yes, another another Kubrick film. So, Ethan, we watched this film. Yeah, we did. We sure did. We sure, we watched, we vidied it. With we, our, we vidied it. We vidied it with our glass balls. And, we and our droogs. My droogs. With our droogs. And then we are going to think about it with our Gullivers. And then we'll, I don't know, have a solution maybe? I'm not sure with the end goal. <laughs> yeah, something. Something's going to happen. The podcast has to end someday. And I know what will happen first is you'll give us a plot synopsis. A Clockwork Orange is the story of Alex Dularge, a young Londoner whose interests include rape, torture, ultraviolence, and the music of Ludwig van Beethoven. At the opening of the film, Alex and his droogs, those are his friends, enjoy a long night of violence and debauchery, beating a homeless man, fighting a rival gang, and breaking into the country home of a writer who they beat savagely before raping his wife. The next day at home, Alex is confronted by his creepy probation officer who cautions him to change his violent ways. Alex is not convinced and meets again with his droogs for a repeat of the previous night. However, the droogs are not pleased with Alex's quote-unquote leadership and he attacks them in an attempt to prove his dominance. That night, they again attempt to break into a home, and once Alex enters, the woman he has come to rape attacks him back. He accidentally murders her with a phallic sculpture, it's pretty much just a big penis, and tries to escape with the droogs, but they ambush him and leave him for the police to come pick up. 
Alex's murder leaves him with a 14-year prison sentence. While in prison, Alex hears talk of a new technique for curing violent criminals. Those who undergo this Ludovico technique are allowed out of prison immediately after the therapy, so Alex does everything he can to be chosen for it. He is, of course, and he discovers that the technique is a form of aversion therapy, where victims are pumped full of nausea-inducing drugs and forced to watch scenes of violence and rape while Beethoven plays underneath. When presented with sex and violence after the treatment, victims are rendered so sick that they're unable to act on their impulses. A side effect of the treatment is that Beethoven triggers the same response in Alex. Alex returns home after being treated to find his parents have taken on a boarder in his room, who they see as a son, and he's forced out onto the streets. The homeless man from the opening recognizes him and attacks, Al uh, yeah, and attacks Alex with his friends, and the police arrive. Unluckily for Alex, the police are his old droogs who take him into the countryside and beat him nearly to death. He stumbles to the nearest house, that of the writer from the film's beginning. He finds out that the writer is permanently crippled and his wife has died. The man takes him in but eventually recognizes who Alex truly is and drugs him. Alex awakes to find himself locked in an upstairs room while Beethoven plays loudly around him. He jumps out the window rather than endure the torture of the Ludovico technique. Alex later awakes in a hospital room, his body covered in casts. He discovers, however, that the Ludovico technique has been reversed, and public outrage surrounding his case has led the government to apologize to him and offer him a well-paying job. As the film ends, Alex imagines a wild sex scene between him and an unnamed woman as he proclaims, I was cured all right. I think one thing that's important to, to maybe touch on with the plot is the writer doesn't figure out who Alex is and then drug him. He had the plan to drug him based on him as a, like a, a product of this Ludovico technique before he realized he was the one that crippled him and raped his wife. What? Are you sure? Yeah, man. I just watched it. So he was, but so why was he going to drug him before he knew? Because he's a subversive. And so he and his conspirators were going to try to get him to kill himself to effectively get exactly what happens in the film to make sure that because on the phone when he calls him and this is before he hears Alex singing, singing in the rain and right. recognize who he was. He's calling them to say, look, I've got this guy and we need to take care of this. Cause if we don't, they're going to apply this to all of us. And then we all become these. Oh. So I wanted to get yeah. that set up because I think that's critical to the wider implications of the story. And I think also, the setting is really important for this. So you mentioned right. Alex is a Londoner and that's true, but we're in a pseudo dystopian, which I mean, aren't we always pseudo dystopian right, I mean, world <laughs> where there's a couple, <laughs> couple notes in IMDb about there's like hints that the monarchy of London has been abolished and it's just mm -hmm. a state and it's obviously a fascist state and it's oscillating between these, anarchic scenes with Alex and then the overly bureaucratic scenes of the state operating. And I think right. that's really important for what this film is trying to say ultimately. And finally, as like a, a little tiny note, he does say his name is Alex Delarge, but a couple of the newspaper articles that you see at the end with him trying to commit suicide, he's actually listed as Alex Burgess. Oh. For the author's name. Author. Yeah. So I thought that was neat. But yeah, he is 
um, called DeLarge in this film only once. And apparently that was Malcolm McDowell who plays Alex ad-libbing that because I think he's called Alex DeLarge in the, the book itself. Yes. In the book, he is raping um, a pair of like 10 year old, 10 year old girls. And he calls himself Alex DeLarge. Yeah. Which, which, horrifying. He's yeah. supposed to be 15 in the book and then later 17 once he gets out of prison. Yeah, and actually that was an interesting thing because uh, Olivia and I sat down to watch this and she's like, how old is this guy? And I was like, "He's." I'm fairly certain he's in high school because I had seen it before. Yeah. And she's like, what? No. And yes, in fact. And Malcolm McDowell is 27, <laughs> I think, when the filming is occurring. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is also indicated to us a few times in the earlier scenes, but also when Dim and George are police officers, they right. said we're of job age and so they're getting jobs, basically. Which, if yeah. you notice their epaulets on their shoulders, they have 665 and 667, and Alex mm. is dragged between them, so he would logically be assigned 666. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of there's there's. I mean, this is a Kubrick film, so it's full of shit like that. There's a great shot when he's uh, taking his day off of school because he never fucking goes to school. Because this is Ferris Bueller's day off, right? It's exactly you're right. That well, this actually really is like a fucked up Ferris. Anyway, he goes up to the record like station, I guess, or kiosk, and the first record directly in the center of the frame is the soundtrack to. Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah, and they actually wanted to use someone else's album at some point, but the people didn't want to do it because the content or something like that. And so Kubrick's like, well, fine, I'll put my own soundtrack here. Screw you guys. (laughs) Yeah. So, Ethan, why don't we just dive right in and talk about our pivotal scene because I have a feeling we're going to be talking a bit of philosophy today with this stuff. Yeah, shoot it out there for me. So my pivotal scene that I chose is Alex in the library with the priest talking about free will and choice and man trying to obtain goodness, which is not forced or coercive as the Ludovico test, but it's supposed to come from within. And the priest is consistent in saying, look, no, goodness has to be chosen, right? And thinking of East of Eden, right? Steinbeck. Thou mm-hmm. mayest overcome evil versus like thou willest or something. I think that's like one of the major plot lines of that book is that you know, it has to be a choice. It's not just something that can be coerced. Otherwise, that's not goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suspected you would choose this scene because it probably is the the clearest enunciation, elucidation of that theme. And we yeah. get echoes of it throughout the rest of the film with the governor talking about Old Testament justice, which right. we already know Alex prefers the Old Testament for the sex and violence and he doesn't like yes. the whole new testament stuff and then again after the ludovico test is successful when he's on the stage where he's being beaten and then i don't know solicited for sex basically and then yeah. the priest comes up and says you know what you've done is wrong and the priest apparently is kubrick's favorite character he's the only one he thinks that has any kind of moral character in this universe yeah i mean I don't think he's. I don't think he's wrong. <laughs> no, I don't think he's far off. I think even the priest has some questionable techniques. You know, threatening damnation is also well, a bit right. coercive, right? Isn't that kind of refuting what he's at, what he's saying? But at the same time, he. I think he is kind of <laughs> the most sane or the least 
sadistic i think insane is the, yeah. <laughs> is the i think it's the term for this so why don't we yeah. give a quick listen to this scene and then we'll continue to talk about it all right don't be shy to speak up remember i know of the urges that can trouble young men deprived of the society of women father it's nothing like that father It's about this new thing they're all talking about, Father. About this new treatment that gets you out of prison in no time at all. And make sure you never get back in again. Where did you hear about this? Who's been talking about these things? These things get around, Father. Two orders talk as it might be. And somebody can't help overhearing what they say. And somebody picks up a scrap of newspaper in the workshops. And the newspaper tells all about it. How about putting me in for this new treatment, Father? I take it you are referring to the Ludovico technique. I don't know what it's called, Father. All I know that it gets you out quickly and makes sure you never get back in again. That is not proven six double five three to one. In fact, it is only in the experimental stage at this moment. It has been used, isn't it, Father? It has not been used in this prison yet. The governor has grave doubts about it. And I have heard that there are very serious dangers involved. I don't care about the dangers, Father. I just want to be good. I want for the rest of my life to be... One act of goodness. The question is whether or not this technique really makes a man good. Goodness comes from within. Goodness is chosen. When a man cannot choose, he ceases to be a man. I don't understand about the, the whys and wherefores, Father. I only know I want to be good. Be patient, my son. Put your trust in the Lord. Instruct thy son, and he shall refresh thee, and shall give delight to thy soul. Amen. Okay, so we have... Alex is certainly conniving in this scene, right? Would you agree? Oh, yes, of course. He's so full of shit. Yeah, he's not looking for actual redemption here, right? No. And no. the priest, of course, outward appearances of Alex have been a model prisoner, and he does apparently know the Bible well, which is a good good mark in the priest's book. Right. But it ends there. You know, Alex is looking just to get out as fast as he can to get out there with his droogs, which, you know, we should probably mention the Nadzat vocabulary of the book and the film in that it's reliance on these slang terms which we probably understand and then a bunch of russian words that are just horribly mangled into sounding like english <laughs> and so i'd still have to yes. look these up i had to have the wikipedia page open because i'd hear a word and i'd be like i have no idea what that is and i'd look in there and it would have the russian word next to him like oh of course like gulliver is uh gulliver which is head 
in Russian. So mm-hmm. it sounds nothing like it. And then vidi is supposed to be to see, which comes from the Russian verb vidit. Oh, I just thought it meant video. No, I, I thought you might <laughs> think that. But they're all connected to Russian words except for... I think like two or three that refer to German or one to like a Middle Eastern um, mm-hmm. term. So a lot of these are just Russian words that have been, and I'm not sure why that is. I kind of speculated about that a little bit. And I thought maybe are we supposed to think of like a, a red state, right? If the monarchy has been abolished, are we in a like Soviet future here? Right. So I couldn't quite pin that down. Could have just been a choice Burgess yeah. made, but I'm not sure. And and I think that the Nad Nadsat, however you say it, is less effective at the start of the film, but becomes more comprehensible the further we go. I also think there's a little bit less of it used later on, or maybe it just felt like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of these words that are the mangled Russian actually can make sense contextually. And yeah. like one example that I didn't notice at first was. When they're in the milk bar, Malako meaning milk. Right. And then they're sitting next to the woman that's singing Beethoven, right? Right. He calls them a bunch of ludies. And you can think that they're being lewd, but right. lude is the word for people in Russian. And so it kind of plays on two levels almost at certain points. Yeah. It's an interesting play with language, uh, which on top of all the other crazy shit going on in this film is just it it's just kind of wild. Yeah, I think it definitely adds texture to this weird I keep saying weird dystopian future. It's weird because I think my personal experience with this film was I saw it when I was 16 mm-hmm. and had no idea what was going on and just saw it as crazy and horrible in a lot of ways and I don't think I understood any of it. And I certainly didn't understand the the NADSAT, right? But I think right. I have a better appreciation for this film than I did 10 years ago. Uh, I will say, too, watching this in in HD on like a, a, a TV screen that is of significant size versus a computer screen, which is what I probably watched it on originally. I think I probably illegally streamed it years ago. So and you're watched part it on of the a problem. Shitty... You're just I know, right? part of the anarchy I'm future just... we're having. Exactly. I'm going to have to go be Ludovico'd. But watching it, you know, in this sort of like HD, nice, crisp thing. I mean, it's it's just beautifully shot. And I think that like it's that that the what it just it's it's visual beauty is so starkly contrasted to the sort of like awful things that you're seeing happening. Yeah. And it's also super colorful, right? Yes, it's very colorful. So, Ethan, I wanted to give my thesis because I think we're starting to approach that time when we should probably lay those down for people. Let's do it. You know, I, was, I, I really am still struggling with this film in making sense out of it. I think I have good nodes or starting points, but I'm hoping our conversation will cement this a little bit better for me. So here's what I have right now. And I think there appears to be a cyclical nature to a fascist state and that which it produces so these victims of the modern age, which is the term that the writer gives to both Alex and his dead wife, become its perpetrators, right? So you are victimized, and then you are the perpetrator, or you're the perpetrator, and then you become victimized, right? As we see mm-hmm. in the foils of Alex and the writer. Right. And then on top of that, we have the state 
who is allowing this to happen because they're trying to sublimate the fallout, right? They're trying to make sure everything runs smoothly, appears uh, efficient or bureaucratic, right? We see these extended scenes of bureaucracy, like in the prisoner exchange, when Alex gets released to do the Ludovico test, it's like a solid minute of the guard pointing out places for the doctor to sign, right? So I think we're right. being clued into this. So that's what I've got so far. And I think this can be related to the title, Clockwork Orange. Burgess himself said it's a, a British slang, but it actually looks like it might be Malaysian, which Burgess spent time in, and orange or orang being a slang term for man, so a clockwork man, yeah. something natural being turned into an automaton, one who cannot choose but is coerced into everything. Yeah, I mean, because I I, I think you're on to something, right? I mean, the, the, and, and I think this film just asks us a, a fairly big question, which is how important is free will to you, right? And maybe to f- mo- be more specific, I think it asks that uh, asks us if we really think that bad people deserve free will if it keeps other people safe, right? Like if you can take away somebody's a bad per- quote unquote bad person's free will and keep a bunch of other people safe, well then should they suffer, right? And it does it in a really interesting way because Alex is both repulsive and alluring, right? Like he's mm-hmm. very eloquent. Uh, he's witty, but he's also a rapist and murderer. Like, he's a really bad, bad character. And so when we see him, like, suffer, you know, there there is, I think, a, a pang of, like, ah, oh, this is bad. This is just not good. Then again, on the other hand, he's a fucking murderer and rapist. Oh, I think that's part of what the film is asking you to, to look yeah, at. Yeah, is, do you How do you feel about seeing the violence perpetrated upon others by Alex and how do you see the violence perpetrated upon Alex by others? Yeah. And, and I think it, you know, it asks us like, what are you okay with? And it has a lot to do with free will, right? I mean, it, it asks us a question that is, that is free, right? Like you have to choose. You can't, you're not told. I mean, we know ostensibly Alex is bad, but also we are sort of drawn in to kind of really sympathize with this guy in, in, in some way. There's also issues in the film about people remarking that you have to feel sick to be healthy, right? This sick to be healthy. And it's the modern age characterized by this sick health, which in itself seems very Nietzschean in origin, right? The the bad air of the modern age. And I also wanted to point out that Alex is a product of the modern age, right? And so how do you feel about him being punished or not punished or perpetrating actions, I think really boils down to this moral responsibility skepticism argument that we think about. What do we expect these subjects to do under these conditions, right? He's raised in this horrible present, it seems like, and there are certainly people who conform to it, but perhaps he's just a bad subject, he and his drugs, and that's why they perpetrate these crimes is because they themselves are being pushed or formed or coerced before even the Ludovico test itself. Yeah. And then you have to question Ludovico because you're watching sex and violence, which we talk about a lot in this podcast as sensationalism. And now it has an opposite effect, right? Or at least initially it does in Ludovico. It makes him sick. But we see modern audiences flock to sex and violence all the time. Right. And they're not being Ludovico'd. True. In fact, a lot of studies show that they might actually be buying into some of these things, might desensitize them to violence or sex. Yeah. 
So there's a lot of standing questions for me, I think, and I don't really know what to do with them. I think this film does a great job at bringing them up, but I'm not sure how it closes them down necessarily. Well, I don't think it closes them down at all. I think that precisely what it does well is raise these questions, and and this is why we have this ending, right, where he's like, I was cured. I was, I'm cured, right? And and he's in that scene where... He's in the snow with a bunch of people around him, and he's having sex with this woman, and it's hard to tell if it's consensual or not. It looks like she's trying to get away, perhaps. Yeah, it's whatever's going on is not... Again, the ending is ambiguous, right? Is yeah. he imagining... Right, Like, and, and what... So... And just this notion of being cured. So if he's cured of the Ludovico technique, does that mean that he's cured and is a better person in general? Well, I would argue probably not. Cured means that he's going to go back to the same sort of terrible awful shit he did before so yeah i mean i think this film is really good at blurring all of these things right it it, it complicates rather than tries to solve maybe solve yeah i mean so what's interesting is that kubrick did this film without incorporating what is apparently the 21st chapter of Clockwork Orange. Yes. Where Alex yes. grows older and decides to commit himself to creating rather than destroying. And it's a common misconception, evidently, that people thought Kubrick was just unaware of this chapter, which he wasn't. He knew about it. He just knew it didn't fit with his film. So he right, didn't incorporate yeah. it. Yeah. And so, and I think this film functions better as it is now because why would Alex be like oh, I'm tired of this no man he wants to get right back at it and you know we see him throughout being conniving and false and do you know he'll do and say whatever he needs to do to get what he wants so that yeah that this final chapter I read a little bit of it on the internet and yeah it, it, it rings false especially to what Kubrick is trying to do well because Burgess has a different idea of what he wants this to do originally the book started out as this narrative of this horrific violence and sex to eventually show the redemptive nature of man through god right but then that option changed and then it became more like well there's still potential but maybe it's not as complete or something but kubrick wasn't into that and you know i think this film as it stands is a good place to open up conversation Whereas Burgess's novel, which I haven't read, I should mention, might serve to encapsulate itself, right? Close the loop. Right. Well, Ethan, I think we're kind of already there, but maybe we should just ask our three questions. Let's do it, Matt. So the first question, as always, is do we care about this film? Uh, And I think the easy answer is yes. It's groundbreaking, along with another group of uh, with a group of films all around this time that are um, several of them are on the list. Uh, we can think of Bonnie and Clyde, uh, Night Night of the Living Dead. This film, there are a couple others I can't think of off the top of my head that are all in the sort of late sixties, early seventies that changed the way we approach violence in the cinema. And this is one that is very obviously a film that had a, a great effect because. Even though this film is still pretty unnerving and unsettling now, imagine in 1972. This was wild, you know. I mean, it's, it had it's wild now for a right? while. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wild now. But you know, it, and that you know, we've had what 30, 40 years of. Well, it's getting even closer to 50. anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, we've had years and years of 
all sorts of other sort of desensitizing violence, and this still stands out. I mean, so that, again, I think that's a testament to how sort of boundary pushing it ha- it was in its time. I also think that this is effective because it's purposeful. It has a point as opposed to, I don't know, the example I always go to is Game of Thrones sex and violence. Like, what's your point there? What's your greater point than sensationalism? Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, this is this is doing very specific work. So yeah, so it's so it so it's functional and it and it and it, and it works, right? Yeah, and I'll say that. So I do care about this film, and I I really was opposed to it before I sat down to watch it the second time because, like I mentioned, I saw it when I was sixteen, and I actually saw it with my wife when we had first started dating, and we both didn't know what to do with it. And I kept joking this week, oh, you want to watch Clockwork Orange with me? And she's just like, it's a terrible movie. I don't ever want to see that again. And I think I felt somewhat the same way. And then I sat down to watch it last night and today and and, and really have turned around on it for all the reasons we've talked about today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I, 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 it's just, it's, it's, it makes you uncomfortable in the best way possible. Agreed. So, Ethan, what do we owe this film? Oh, geez. In addition to the violence you brought up earlier, right? Yeah, obviously the violence. We certainly the I that sort of iconic shot of the of the eyes being held open in the Ludovico technique. I think has become you know a sort of cultural shorthand that's entered our our visual lexicon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, let me let me try this. I think Fight Club comes out of this. Yeah, I I can see that absolutely. But I think Fight Club gets the wrong things from this film. Yeah, I don't. I think you are. This is yeah. We should maybe do Fight Club for. That's not on the list, right? No, and in fact, why don't we go ahead and watch it for our Patreon episode? Because I do own it, and I was a fourteen-year-old boy, so that means at some point it was one of my favorite films of all time. True. So I think this is a nice little segue to do that. So we'll go ahead and watch Fight Club next week, but. I think this comes out of it for all the nihilistic things this movie presents, but in a way that it's trying to combat through this open conversation. And clearly, writer of Fight Club, Chuck Palahniuk, got something else out of the film, perhaps, than what I did. Also, Fight Club, which is my girlfriend's favorite movie. So so let's ask our third and final question. Does this film please. hold up? Fuck yeah. This film is beautiful. Yeah, it really is. For all of its you know horrid violence and terrible awfulness it is sort of like a beautiful train wreck i also think there's something unique about its idea of the future because in 2017 i'm looking at this film and wondering is this just 1970s england or is this like a really (laughs) in-depth futuristic because i really can't tell right we're so removed from that moment culturally and temporally that it's hard for me to see what is this sci-fi universe, to, for a lack of a better term, and just you know actual normal culture of that time. So I think that was very interesting. That actually helped it be more current, right? Because I don't see it as dated. Because it's such a weird style. Yeah, the style is is quite unlike anything else. And again, it's something that feels like it's probably been imitated over and over, but. You- you can't really duplicate it in a meaningful sense. So yeah, 
it's you're right it is just it's uns- even even just the setting feels unsettling and i think again that works towards its benefit and i think that that really works for it so sounds like we're pretty positive about this film yeah yeah for as much as it makes you uncomfortable to watch it's a good film it's a really good film and i think one of its strengths as i mentioned prior is that it opens up a conversation about sensationalism free will choice coercion and the nature of a bureaucratic or fascist state without really giving you a lot of the answers yeah it makes you work it's a smart film that makes you work and that i think is perhaps why it has felt polarizing to people in the past because it does not give you a good answer it makes you uncomfortable it asks a lot of questions and then it's like figure it out and i think this is something before we started the podcast i wouldn't have been okay with i don't think i would have appreciated a film that says think about this figure it out here are a few of the variables or mechanisms and see you later i'm, I'm out of here no I, it, yeah there's a, definitely a certain appreciation for this that uh has grown in the last 30 films we've watched and there'll be plenty more films in the future (laughs) as we continue on this list so i think that's going to do it for us on this episode but next week please join us on patreon you can find us on patreon.com slash spoilers cast and for just five dollars a month you get two bonus episodes next week being fight club and last week being it comes at night the the title is so bland it's it comes at night so it was a halloween theme yeah and we're gonna have another halloween themed film that's actually another kubrick film as we come up on the next episode yes so toss us some bones but if you don't want to you can always just stay here on the free top 100 canonical list Next time, we have number 69 on AFI's Top 100, 1982, Tootsie. Yes, Tootsie, number 69. Dustin Hoffman, my boy. Oh, he's making a run at Tom Hanks's lauded most appearances on the Top 100 list. True, you're right. That is that is correct. But stay tuned. Until next time, I'm Matt Pizzell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. My droogs, we were vidding at the milk bar and we saw some spoilers. Mm, that's not, a, it sounds nothing like him, but. It's not that how Malcolm is... McDowell sounds, but. <laughs> your interpretation but it, is artistic license and. But he's got kind of a voice, my droogs, my droogies, and it's, I can't really do it. It isn't really a British accent. Mm. Uh, it's something else. Are you sure you haven't been Ludovico for good accents? There Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Bazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at Becca the Knight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month. Also at Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Our email continues to be SpoilersCast at gmail.com. So send us some complaints hate mail and maybe a compliment or two remember please subscribe to us on soundcloud itunes or stitcher and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on itunes it really helps thank you so much the daughter of Dwayne and alma kimberly no i'm not
I'm Edward Kimberly, the reckless brother of my sister, Anthony. Ah! Holy Christ! It's a Edward Kimberly, who has finally vindicated his sister's good name. I'm Edward Kimberly. Edward Kimberly. And I'm not mentally ill, but proud and lucky and strong enough to be the woman that was the best part of my manhood. The best part of myself. That is one nutty hospital.